and unsurpassed, penetrating and perfect Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas, having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept. I vow to taste the truth of the Tathagata's words. Good evening, and I would like to introduce and welcome our Dharma friend Nanette, my Dharma heir, Nanette, who is zooming in from Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she is working full-time for, more than full-time, actually, for Upaya Zen Center, serving the community there. Nanette, we miss your physical presence here in Santa Cruz, and uh, we're all blessed with the good fortune of being able to listen to you this way. Thank you so much for setting aside this time. Completely my pleasure and Patrick's fault. <laughs> Patrick sent us this lovely email about how our newly sewn robes would kind of disintegrate and fall off around us. Um, if we didn't visit this beautiful Sangha with a talk. <laughs> and it's such a delight. It's, it's a place and, and a Sangha that I miss very much and is still really alive for me. So I greatly appreciate being here. And I have a pressing question. Every time I see that beautiful film of the Den Show, I say, Whose hand is that? Who is that? <laughs> so do, do I get to know? That's my hand. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. It brings me right into the Zendo, actually. It's really lovely. So good to be here. And thank you sincerely, Patrick, for the invitation. Um, How many way-seeking mind talks can one give? Probably infinite, infinite numbers. So um, I'm gonna start with a little quote and then I wanna tell you something about my day, which was somewhat extraordinary. So here's, here's the, the quote. Yunmen said, see how vast and wide the world is. Why do you put on your seven piece rope, the sound of the bell? So what I wanna talk about is not only why do we come to practice, but how do we stay? Um, why do we just keep showing up to practice? Um, so starting with my day, we had a Shuso ceremony at Upaya for a beautiful, beautiful young monk who's been there four years. And, um, you know, these ceremonies are our lineage. You know, they very much honor our heritage. And the Shuso ceremony is probably one of the most high churchy ceremonies of all. Um, but what I wanna share is, uh, 
what, how he answered one of the, the questions that was put to him in this Shusou, um, you know, question and answer and meeting people heart to heart. And uh, the case he was talking about included in its introduction, the story of Weka cutting off his arm to convince Bodhidharma of his sincerity and practice. And so one of the residents asked Shoryu, the young man, um, so Weka cut off his arm to show his great aspiration. What did you give up coming here to practice? And just as happens in these Shusou ceremonies, Shoryu said, everything. But it wasn't, oh, I gave up everything. My, it was totally different. It was this understanding of we give up everything when we practice. We're giving up the past and we're giving up the future. And we're just showing up to practice. Um, and this is, I feel, um, a beautiful kind of, uh, statement about how we practice and how we come to practice and a little bit about how we stay. So, um, you know, why do we put on our robes at the sound of the bell or step into the zendo at the sound of the bell or show up, you know, at, at a session here at the end of your day on your computer just to be together um, and share the Dharma. You know, at Upaya, one of my jobs is to interview prospective residents and bring them in. And they're so thirsty, no matter what the age, and so eager to come into a practice community and tired, you know, exhausted usually by the lives that they live. Um, and they say and write lots about why they want to come into such a, you know, rigorous practice field. Um, but listening to them and knowing for myself, I think mostly we, we kind of have no idea, actually. We know we're suffering. And um, we come for some kind of freedom for that, for ourselves and other people. There's something that, uh, that we come to taste. It's funny. So here's the, the truth of my coming to practice. I went to Tassajara for the hot springs and to have a good time and have some good hikes. Um, and then I went into the Zendo. And there was something about that first visit or numerous visits at Tassajara that I noticed about the people there, how they moved and bowed in the zendo or served in the dining hall. And there was this generosity and kindness and wholeness in that practice field that really intrigued me and felt like something, uh, something that was missing, maybe I could say. 
And I think for most of us, there's some subtle thing that arises uh, that we glimpse, some kind of wholeness, some kind of uh, experience of life that we've longed for. And so we don't know quite why, but I think we get hooked. Catherine says, uh, when you meet Suzuki Roshi, this is something she wrote in her book, when you meet Suzuki Roshi or someone like him and his wholeness, you can't go back to your old ways. You wanna be like that, that sense of, of a resonance. So we have this initial inspiration kind of eager determination, I think, when we start showing up at the Zendo. And um, before long, what comes up is our physical discomfort, our minds. It's not what we imagined. Uh, the peace isn't there. We're not who we thought we were when the dust settles. And um, we're pretty far from who we thought we wanted to become maybe when we started to practice. So I think pretty early on in this beautiful, you know, aspiration for practice, we get a sense of how hard it is and we meet ourselves. And so that being so, what, what keeps us going when it's so hard and when we find what we find, which is, meeting ourselves and then in addition we're told right away that zazen is useless for one thing and that we practice with no there's nothing to gain and we practice with no gaining ideas so you know here we are um, and why do we stay and what keeps us going so when I was thinking about that um, for myself what came up that I want to talk about for, for a bit is the teaching of the three pillars of Zen of great faith and then great doubt and then great determination. And it's kind of like this wheel, you know, cycling through those three kind of that keeps us going or that I can find keeps me going in my practice. So just looking at faith first, there's a, I think early on, there's a really eager faith in what we see in our teachers and what we sense in practice communities or maybe through reading the teachings even. And something rings true, something seems right. And so I think that eager faith carries us for a while, you know, through the discomfort. It's like, okay, I think my life might have a chance to be more workable, you know, and I might find more ease, even though what I'm looking at is hard. And then that difficulty and glimpse of ease comes and goes. And for me, that connection to my faith in the practice definitely comes and goes. You know, 
This isn't what I signed up for. But after a while, what happened for me is that I, it's like I could remember, I was completely and still am sometimes not in touch with that, that faith in the practice, but I remember that it was there and that I can turn toward it even when I'm not feeling it at all. And so I think those are the times for me that are vow, that the precepts, you know, okay, I, I'm not feeling this practice, but I know how to behave. <laughs> and I'm gonna base my actions on a feeling of love for the practice and trust for the practice and love for my uh, fellow beings. So the Dharma teaches us that we're perfect and complete. And here we are looking at ourselves, uh, not acting that way, not feeling that way. And I recognize for myself and for many of us in this culture, this really core belief that I'll never be complete. And I define myself by my lack and insufficiency. It's like in my bones and somehow, you know, I just have to keep kind of teaching myself the Dharma. And um, writing out those waves of doubt. And actually, as the practice teaches us, not only writing them out, but kind of leaning into it, leaning into uh, the doubt. And then I remember what trust feels like. And somehow remember that I can trust my capacity to act out of my wholeness. So I think slowly the trust in that capacity can grow. And also, and this is for me, I just want to say so clearly and directly to all my teachers and all my teachers in the Santa Fe Sangha and to Jean one thing that carries us through, through is that we have faith in our teachers. And when I can't see at all my good nature, you know, I trust that my teacher sees it and can hear, even when I can't see it myself, that, you know, that's one of the things that our teachers can do is reflect that back. And you know, um, our fellow Sangha members, you know, many people in our lives can reflect that back when we can't see it in ourselves. It's something that I'm very grateful for, very grateful for. So going back to faith a little bit, the, in the classical teachings, there are different kinds of faith that we kind of progress through and then also cycle through. And I was talking about this kind of eager faith or longing faith that's um, seeing wonderful qualities in others and our teachers. And um, 
wanting to, to practice to have those qualities so that we can be a benefit and we don't get in our own way quite so much. So that's that kind of eager faith. And then um, over time, I think we can have a more confident faith. And I would say um, what that's about is we know actually that we're able to walk the path and then it's fine if we fall down and that we're able to attain this way to, to manifest um, our wholeness. And the more we practice, the more we know this and it's, it gets a little bit harder. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of um, very well-practiced ways of kind of veering off the path and closing my eyes to um, what I know to be true. And it gets harder to kind of do that. It gets harder to willfully go back to sleep. And then, um, and we're told this, we're given a warning from the beginning. There's a point at which it's all over for us. We can't, it's like we can't go back. It's our life. Um, and no matter how hard it gets, we know we simply have to, to walk this path to be in our lives completely. Um, so we keep going. Yeah. And we have to be intimate with everything, the whole catastrophe, I could say, and be patient with ourselves and with others. Intimate with what we love to see and what we do anything not to meet. And this was Catherine's teaching through and through, to study our delusions, to meet what's there, to, to you know, show up for the truth, uh, the reality of our lives. And it's hard work. And that's why this faith, doubt, and then determination cycles through. Rilke, in his letters to a young poet, writes, you must realize that something is happening to you, that life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in the palm of its hand and will not let you fall. And I think our teachings and our path of living kind of in the wholeness of our inner connectivity, our interdependence is our, you know, confidence that life doesn't let us fall. And I think one of the things that happens with practice that our tolerance, and I feel this is true for me, our tolerance for what we can look at and what we can bear and our willingness to see what we don't like and be with it and what we don't see what we don't like in ourselves, it just increases, it gets a little bit lighter. Um, I remember from way back when I was, when I drove to, to take care of my mom to the Bay Area for a number of years, every weekend, I'd listen to all these Dharma talks. And I remember this teaching of Pema's of, she called it the noble practice of no big deal. You know, you fall on your face, you get up, 
you see, you know, the pain of your uh, failures, your falling down, and you just get up. No big deal. Easy, easier said than done. And I want to share something without sharing details, which wouldn't be appropriate, but really, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we had a very difficult time at Upaya in the resident body, big upheaval in our little Sangha. And a lot of it was because of, in my role as res resident director, my own lack of clarity. And um, it was messy and painful for the residents. And I, I remember like the next morning after this upheaval, getting up and going to the Zendo, I did really, it was the last thing I wanted to do, you know, to make amends for starts, to find some clarity about how to move forward and what changes need to happen. Um, and there was something about really letting myself be brokenhearted and see my, uh, basically, confusion that had caused this problem without trying to figure it out, just, just being with how it was uh, to be in that place really allowed some clarity to just arise about what needed to happen. And, um, you know, when I go through periods like this, it's kind of a, a good description of some of the things I, I've just been talking about, about how we really just have to meet our lives with an open heart, with patience, with forgiveness. Here's something that Catherine says about this that's very clear and beautiful. She wrote, when we find it's not in our power to make our lives safe, and secure for ourselves and our families, and in this case, I would say, and our sanghas. We begin to become aligned with life as it is. Maturity and humility arise. Maturity and humility arise. So this is what happens on our path in this heartbreak. Um, I think we just learn that our hearts are made for this, that we can open to it. Um, and we can just keep going. And we do this moment by moment. I have the thought that come up, comes up that, you know, how can I keep going when I've caused harm? And then we're with one breath and the next breath and the next thought. And sometimes the going is smooth and sometimes it isn't. Here's another bit of wisdom from Catherine. We're cultivating the capacity to be engaged with the reality of our lives. 
When we feel there are alternatives, we reach for them. But when there are none, it seems we can rest in what is. That may be the hope of our practice, accepting what happens to us, knowing that the present moment is a full expression of its causes and conditions. Accepting what happens to us and knowing that the present moment is a full expression of its causes and conditions. And somehow uh, this thought comes to me right now, kind of revisiting this situation where um, I was unskillful, but you know, there's a way to take responsibility that doesn't have to do with guilt or blame. It's a full expression of my causes and conditions and the causes and conditions of the practice field and the residents. And it's, it's an opportunity to learn from those causes and conditions and from the outcomes actually. So great determination. What it's about and the reason it's great is that it turns toward rather than away from. When the going gets rough, we lean into it and we lean into the rough going. And then when we do that, somehow we, I mean, gain confidence that the path is walkable and also that we'll do it. You know, I feel like more and more we know that we'll do it that we're not going to turn away. Because we've cultivated, as Catherine says, a willingness to trust and go with the moment. Not because it's comfortable, but because it's here. It's our life. It's our life as it's arising right now. So I've been talking a bit about this in a way, you know, ourselves, our path, our meeting it. But when we need to, we get help from the ancestors, from our teachers, from the Sangha. You know, that's why we practice together. Because in the moments of great doubt, we can be certain that the ancestors and our teachers and our Sangha are there with us. So I wanna talk a little bit about this in terms of lineage. And I should have figured this out, but maybe Patrick, you can just tell me what's my kind of ending time ideally. You can go till about uh, 7.10, 7.15. Okay, great. Um, because I think we make this individual effort, but I wanna say some things about how practicing in a lineage not only supports us, but also you know, is part of what works us in a way. We have this lineage down through the, many centuries that comes from Shakyamuni Buddha from so many men and women practicing with us with such 
doubt and faith and determination. And so, um, you know, we find our place in this lineage and just steadily come back and practice with Sangha. Maybe our place is just that, we stay with the practice, or maybe we receive the precepts in a Jukai ceremony, or follow the priest path like my young friend Shoryu and his Shuso ceremony. But really what matters in the end is that we just keep showing up and showing up in the context of this lineage because otherwise there's beautiful books we can read and that's helpful. But there's something um, about finding our place in this long collective tradition and placing our faith in Buddha, Dharma and Sangha that holds us and challenges us, I think. Um, Buddhism, a Buddhism is a practice we have to do as individuals. We know that, you know, our teachers can't do it. Our parents can't do it. The Buddha can't do it. We have to do this as individuals. And the lineage is composed of individuals, but it's not just a random collection of all of us doing our own thing, actually. Um, individuals without a lineage, at least to some extent, give up some of our personal preferences in showing up in that lineage. And we do this in the course of our training to embody this collective tradition that's evolved to benefit many kinds of people. So we're not just taking, picking and choosing. Well, you know, I like this teaching, I'll ignore that one. I like to chant, bowing doesn't do it so much for me. You know, if, if I'm a lineage holder and a practitioner, I include the chanting in the practice, even if it's not my preference and I share it with people because there are people who benefit from it. Um, or perhaps certain of the teachings, you know, are off-putting. I'm not still so much of a fan of the stories about whacking people and cutting off arms. I mean, I've found my way to understand them, but, you know, there are uh, some teachings that are off-putting, but, you know, we study them to see if we can learn from them. And undoubtedly, always there are people in the Sangha that are difficult for us. Good, you know, we stay involved because um, we learn from each other and we learn from those annoying people. <laughs> we learn about ourselves and we learn about the world. And um, this is all part of being in Sangha and also being part of a lineage. You know, there are all these small ways that we allow the lineage tradition to challenge us. And at the same time, you know, we slowly move and change the lineage. And the most obvious thing that comes to mind for me always is the place of the women teachers and how, you know, fairly recently in the West, we have really found our way to honor our women ancestors in an unprecedented way. 
And we know that Zen has evolved, or Buddhism, let me say, has evolved through a number of cultures. And so, you know, we participate and we learn from the lineage, but we also bring ourselves and our values to it as well. And um, we have to discern and, you know, let our egos and preferences and attachments and notions be challenged by the lineage. I think this is a really valuable part of our practice. That we can be grateful for. For the challenges of our Sangha members and the teachings and the practices that we show up for, you know, out of love and out of uh, our gratitude, I think, for the practice. So I'd like to uh, share two encouragements from teachers in our um, more recent tradition or family style as Patrick uh, talked about not too long ago. One from Catherine, all the practice, all the practice is requesting and all that it requests is that we bring forth whatever energy, motivation, commitment and confidence is available in this moment. All that practice requests is that we bring forth whatever energy, motivation, commitment and confidence is available in this moment. And then Suzuki Roshi, just to be sincere and make our full effort in each moment is enough. There is no nirvana outside our practice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nanette. We'll close this section with the uh, vows. And uh, if, I hope you're able to stay around after our announcements to have some conversation. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. 